Welcome to Common Ground with Bill Walton, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Today, let's talk about politics. Specifically, what's going on with Donald Trump, the Republican Party, conservatives, Capitol Hill, there seems to be almost as much Trump conflict there as with the Democrats and the media. As some of you may know, I worked for the Trump transition team, heading up the teams that developed action plans for all the economic agencies. I believe we created some great roadmaps to ramp up economic growth, growth that could go a long way towards improving every American's life. <laughs> Yet months into the Trump presidency, not much has happened on this front. Yes, some progress has been made on the regulatory front, but nothing on things like health care, tax reform, and a rational immigration policy. With me today to talk about how we got here and where we might be going is Al Regnery and Matt Schlapp. Al Regnery is founder and chairman of the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund and was president and publisher of The American Spectator, a monthly magazine of literature, politics, satire, and culture. He was also president of Regnery Publishing, where he published over 250 titles, 23 of which were New York Times bestsellers. During the Reagan administration, he was a Senate-confirmed appointee in the U.S. Justice Department. Al's writings have been published in countless national magazines and periodicals. He is the author of Upstream, The Ascendance of American Conservatism, A History of the Conservative Movement from 1945 to the Present. Matt Schlapp? is the chairman of the American Conservative Union, also known as ACU. ACU was the nation's earliest grassroots organization. ACU hosts an annual conservative action political conference called CPAC and has ranked every member of Congress for 45 years now. ACU is also scoring every state legislature. Matt served as White House political director and deputy assistant to President George W. Bush. His extensive political commentary appears regularly in broadcast and print media, and he's a co-host with his wife, Mercedes, of CPAC 365, a weekly radio show on Sirius XM Radio. Al and Matt, welcome. Great to be here. Thank you. Nice to be here. So, Al, uh, let's, let's let you get first swing at it. What's going on with Trump and the Republicans and conservatives and Capitol Hill and Mitch McConnell and the whole the whole stew. Remember, Al, he might be watching. <laughs> and you want you want that be. in thirty seconds, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, the, the big issue. I guess the first thing I would do is add Democrats into it too, because well, certainly yeah. they have a lot to do with it. Um, the Republican Party, many of the Republican Party, don't like Donald Trump very much. Um, some of them like him a lot, um, and in many cases, what he's doing is challenging their status quo, their whole sense of, of being and professionalism and so on, um, because he's such an outsider. And he's doing things not according to the script, but according to his own will. And um, that sends a lot of people up the wall, frankly. I mean, Mitch McConnell, you mentioned him, is probably the best example. Um, Republican forever. He, I don't know that he's ever had a job outside of politics, but it's been a long time if he has. Um, and he's a total creature of Washington. Um, certainly gets reelected in Kentucky. He's a tough campaigner. Um, he's probably got a lot of people that owe him things in, in Kentucky, and so he gets easily reelected. But um, in Washington, 
his his constituency is inside the Beltway, not in not in his home state, and um, he so he does things according to the way they've always been done. His ultimate goal is to stay as the majority leader rather than accomplish anything um, in terms of policy. I don't think it really makes a lot of difference to him what the policy is. He wants to to win it in such a way that it's good for him and good for Republicans. Um, totally not the way Donald Trump works. So, so where do the American people enter into well, this? Well, the American people get on, the, frankly, the short end of the stick. I mean, okay. the um, what goes on inside the Beltway, and I've been here since 1978, and I've been in a lot of different places, and I think we all probably agree that largely what's done in Washington is done for the benefit of the people in Washington. I mean, Matt, what do you think? I think that there's just so much change. I think it's hard for Republicans who are used to taking a pledge to the elephant and uh, and what Donald Trump has come forward and said, he's kind of gotten us back to the concept of taking an oath to the Constitution and to the country. And he was pretty transparent about what his agenda is. I don't think it was uh, hidden from anybody. And uh, and he gets frustrated and cranky, as any business person does, when government stands in the way and is ineffective. And when the elephant's in the way of progress, he's going to be just as tough on it. And quite frankly, I'm a pretty strong Republican, but I'm perfectly fine with that. Well, do we think the Republicans are, uh, it seems like, my sense is some of them actually would like to see Trump fail as president. Because oh, they would, that, no question yeah, about it. Yeah, I mean, um, that's not going to help them. I mean, we've got a 2018 well, election not, not coming up. Well, not the time and, being, but I guess in the long run they think it would be, and they get back to having a sort of an establishment sort of person that's the, pre the president who does what they, what the political class, if you will, um, says, you know, some people think there really is not that much of a distinction between the two parties. Basically, the, the difference is between the professional political class, the, the elite, if you will, and the rest of the American people, the, the average Joe that earns a living doing whatever he's doing. And um, that the, the, in, in many cases, Democrats and Republicans are in lockstep, get, keeping the status quo as it is and keeping things going. Yeah, you know, one thing there, Bill, I would invite you both to think about how unsettling it would be if you had spent your whole professional life in elected office inside the swamp as a Republican who's trying to, you know, push the agenda. And out of nowhere, this guy comes out of New York City making fun of you, mocking you, taunting you on Twitter, calling you losers and failures. And he mops up the field in the primaries. He completely... Uh, overcast and overshadows everything you've been trying to do, and now he's in the White House. So it's a little bit of an indictment of these very people in Congress that Donald Trump won, and they know it. And so this is going to be a very uneasy relationship throughout the time. Yeah, that he, went, he went seventeen, 17 to zero in the primaries. So yeah, that's, uh... and it wasn't that close. <laughs> and you know, some of these guys won their home states, and the media was making a big deal out of winning their home states in the old days in politics. Winning your home state was a given, and then you were going to try to branch out as you ran for president and win some more. Now, you, you, American Conservative Union, you have a fair, pretty interesting uh, logo. You're committed to educating and converting those who may not know they are conservatives. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how does that fit into the whole Trump uh, electorate? And uh, I mean, were there conservatives that voted for Trump, or was it uh, somebody else? Or what, what, what? Elaborate on that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm 49 years old, and a lot of people uh, who approach politics in life uh, who are my age, they don't really join things. 
they don't really grab onto labels. You know, uh, in a 21st century America, the rugged individual can be who he or she wants to be. And they don't, they don't, they don't know the Kiwanis or the, you know, these different uh, community organizations. They, they, these younger folks just aren't joining them like they used to. And that's just the dynamic going on in the country. And I also think the national media has played a role. They're not only not joining, but they don't want to be self-identified as yeah. conservative. They want to be well, independent, something else. Yeah, because the you know many voices in the media have made conservatives out to be things that are unsavory. So maybe they don't like so much of it. And if you look at how, how consumers are, you go order a coffee. 50 years ago, you might have gotten regular or decaf. Today, there's like 150 different iterations. You can have the exact cup of coffee you want. And, uh, you know, you go to a fast food joint and you want to get a Coke, you got 16 choices of what kind of fruit flavor you want on the Coke. It's just like that's what people in America want. They want that personalization, individualization, and they want it in politics. Well, that's, 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 I'm glad you're bringing that because that's where I wanted to go with that question is that you think about Trump's constituency. There are people who are economic nationalists, they're populist, they're libertarian, they're traditional uh, country club re Republicans. It's a very interesting coalition. And, and Al, you've written a book about conser history of conservatism. Is does Trump represent a fundamental realignment of the uh, of the parties? I think that still remains to be seen. Um, he certainly did in the election, and whether whether he succeeds probably determines whether or not there's a realignment. Um, in a way, the people that voted for him are the same people that voted for who were in the Tea Party. Um, they were people not necessarily in politics. I mean, my wife, for example, worked in a, in a polling place, and she said all kinds of people came in to vote that had never voted before. And that was, I think, tradition. that happened across the country um, because they saw in him something that no other politician did, which was that he was talking to them about their problems as opposed to the way Washington solves things. So um, if he can succeed, yeah, there, there could be a very significant realignment. Um, I mentioned at the beginning also the Democratic Party, which is, I think, a piece of this. The Democrats are in terrible disarray. You, it's one of the reasons the Republicans are as far as they are is because the opposition is so awful. I mean, the left has a very organized opposition. That's not the Democrat Party. Remember, the Democratic Party, there are, what, 1,100 fewer Democrats in elected office now than there were when Obama was elected. Yeah. Um, the Republicans control 36, 37 states in governorships. Yeah. And about, I think, what is it, 60-some out of 90 state legislatures? You probably know the numbers better than I do. But um, that's huge. It's never been—the Republican Party, from that standpoint, is in better shape than it has been since Herbert Hoover, before Herbert Hoover. Yeah, I, I mean, the one thing I would say is, is that if you really look at both parties, they're on very shaky they are. ground. That's right. Republicans across this country, activists, non-elected folks— are looking at the party and saying, I saw Obama get all of his agenda in in eight years. When he couldn't get through Congress in a Republican Congress, he got with his pen and his phone. By hook or by crook, he got the agenda in. Can you imagine a Republican who would be equally bold in standing up for every single part of the agenda? So that's the shaky ground the Republicans are in, which is their own base of support doesn't believe they'll fight for the issues they say they'll fight for. And on the Democratic side, you have a non-Democrat Bernie Sanders, a socialist, who won that nomination, and the only reason why he didn't win it is because Trump was right. It was rigged. We got the emails to prove it. And, uh, and that's quite an amazing statement. So you had two people who really didn't have longstanding ties in either party. One person got the nomination. The other person should have. 
Uh, that's quite an indictment on the two parties. Well, and the, and the Trump people will tell you that, the, the political people, that um, certainly they needed the Republican National Committee and the Republicans, but it was the conservatives who actually were on the ground in massive numbers who got him elected. So he was elected by the grassroots. He was elect elected by the Tea Party mm -hmm. and, and the activists there. Uh, is there does, does a new party emerge out of this? I mean, my I guess my view is that new parties are almost impossible because of the way the laws are written. That's right. The well, a third on party, a ballot, yes. A third it, party. If the, if the Republican Party were to sort of implode yeah. and you could have a new party, that happened back when the Whig Party basically wasn't representing its people anymore. Um, the, the a number of them left. Oh, um, the Whigs. Salmon Chase, Chase and uh, several <laughs> other really uh, significant leaders, articulate, intelligent people left. They formed the Republican Party. The Whig Party disappeared. That was one in the 1850s, I guess. And um, the, the result was you had a Republican Party. That might happen again. Um, you need a leader. You need somebody who's articulate, who understands it, who's got a following, who can stand up and, and get people behind him. And I'm not sure that we have that right now. Think of the frightening aspect of the historical aspect of that is as all that change was happening, the country was heading towards a civil war and both Jefferson Davis and Abraham Lincoln had been Whigs. Shows you how much change our country went through. And I think we look at our country today and we say, I think as conservatives, we tend to be traditionalists. Sometimes we resist change. I think most conservatives are happy about the change because they've been looking at the status quo and we're losing. Government gets bigger, taxes get higher, government plays a larger role in our lives. And the people, the Republican National Committee, like that, frankly. Well, I mean, they, they talk don't, whether they like it or don't like it, Al, I think that they believe it's bad politics to stand boldly. Think about this. Just think about this for a second. Roe v. Wade has been the law of the land since 1973. Almost every Republican goes around this country and says we're going to overturn it when they don't mean it. We've had the IRS and the 16th Amendment for a long, long time. And almost every Republican goes around this country and says we're going to put shackles on it. We're going to put locks on the door. And do they really, really mean it? I doubt it. When the gay marriage decision came down in the Supreme Court and people have differences on that, but the hypocrisy is what really bothers me. You had Republicans who went around this country saying, I'm for traditional marriage, but they went like this. And they were like, thank God the Supreme well, Court has solved this political problem and I don't have to talk about it anymore. They keep talking about an agenda that they don't have an intent of doing anything about in Obamacare with six Republicans switching their vote on a copycat vote from, 19, from 2015 when they knew it would be vetoed, they were fine with saying they wanted to repeal it. When it would be signed into law, they went and, sw and switched their vote. Well, a friend of ours, Larry Arndt, who's president of Hillsdale College, we, you mentioned the Whigs and leading up to the Civil War. He, he will say, and he, I guess he's not really, uh, he's pretty pessimistic. He says the country's gone through three existential issue, you know, times. One was the American Revolution. The other was the Civil War. And he feels like today's like that because of the, the deep divisions. And... You know, we've got this sort of interesting thing. We've got dug in and highly committed activists on both sides. And then we've got the two parties, which of you guys pretty, pretty intelligently have conveyed are pretty cynical about just keeping in power and not really making any changes. I mean, as a business guy, I'm always looking for a line of action. Where is this going? I mean, well, where, do you, where is this going? I mean, this, this doesn't seem to be sustainable. The tr traditional role of a political party is to... Um, when you have a candidate, you, you, you find a candidate, you raise the money, and you get them elected. Um, generally, it doesn't really have any 
deep philosophy. That's where the conservative movement comes. It's comes a in. fundraising I've mechanism. Said, it's you know, a candidate. It's a the, candidate the, the, the conservative movement should be the heart and soul of yeah. the Republican Party. They basically come up with the ideas. They train the people. Um, they they do all the background work and everything else, and then they hand it over to the Republican Party to get the guy nominated, raise the money, and get him elected. Um, and that's really not what it does anymore. I mean, now I guess the Republican Party, as much as anything else, is trying to maintain its own status quo. Um, and, the, the, of course, you have these professional people that work at the Republican Party that start in the young Republicans, and then they go to, well, not to the campaign committee of the Senate and the House and whatever, work on different campaigns and make their life working as a professional um, political operative. And then we, and they Look, make I a think lot, they do very well. We've given this idea that if Republicans could just, we've never won so much mm-hmm. at the state level, state legislator level, at the federal level. We've got, for the first time in my lifetime, a president started with a majority in the House and the Senate, started his presidency. It's an amazing thing. This is an amazing amount of power. And I think a lot of conservatives had hope. They knew that it was awfully tough for the Republicans to get the agenda done, to really make a difference on taxes, to make a difference on the size and scope of government. But what will, will not, they will not tolerate is after they give them this power and this authority, if government just starts to continue to grow, we raise the debt limit, the same bills get paid, and there's not a real difference in the direction of the government. That is when I think the party will really indict itself. I hope it doesn't. And I still think we're going to make a lot of progress on the agenda, but the heat is coming if these guys, if these people in Congress don't get it done. Well, I guess well, you we'll just, count- no, let me just, just yeah. add one thing to that. As, as people discover once you start an entitlement it's very it's almost impossible to stop it we need we need and to we though. and so much of the money that is coming out of washington is entitlements now that you really it's almost impossible to do anything about it i picked up a book a few years ago i wish i could remember the author's name it's called the struggle to limit government and i was early into the political world and i sort of hoping this was a handbook you know we could get in and figure things out and reduce it and he pointed out that no president including ronald reagan has ever actually shrunk government. Mm-hmm. He only slowed the growth, and but it kept growing. And so, but as Margaret Thatcher famously said, eventually you run out of other people's money. Well, that may happen. <laughs> well, but a little bit of this also, as you two will understand more than me, is is that there is a concept of is the economy growing. And is, gov- is government getting out of the way of that economy? How do you really quantify the size and scope of government in our lives? And I think we've gotten to the point where we just politically, we're going to have to say some things that are tough. A couple of things. Let, let, me just say, let me just say real quickly, after this race struggle we've gone through in this country, and you look at where we've come from and where we are. I talk to my African-American friends who are conservatives. They say, actually, if you're African-American living in this country, it's just a whole different place. Your opportunity is amazing. But that being said, the acrimony and the animosity. So issues like affirmative action, we have to actually call them out and say, hey, is it really doing anything to help us or is it actually hurting us? The welfare state, right? All these programs, when we've gone beyond just helping the widows and the orphans and the indigent and the people who can't take care of themselves, and now we're giving all kinds of benefits to people who are able-bodied, but they don't listen to the alarm clock. We really have to make the tough, make the tough statements on those questions and say, hey, enough is enough. Our party, Donald Trump says we shouldn't be so politically correct. And that means a lot of different things. If it means saying, after you give something 50, 60, 70 years bill in business, if you gave it 50 or 60 or 70 years in business and it wasn't working, 
you'd probably start to pull the plugs on its funding and try something well, different. You wouldn't have a business to pull a plug that's from. Right. <laughs> you that's would be, you would be gone. That's right. <laughs> and we know there's, you know, business, you know, that's the whole issue of that business is that you're, it's really an experiment in discovering what works and what doesn't work. And if it works, you end up building the business and you reinvest your profits. If, if you got a bad idea, you, you disappear. This is the exciting time about this political moment is I think if we can show that we're competent, and we haven't shown that in every conceivable way for sure in the last eight months, but that we're competent and we have a vision, I think the people will follow that vision. And I think we can really ask some questions about things we've been doing for 50, 60, and 70 years, and we have a chance to change things. And so I think it's, I look at all this change and all the uh, turbulence out there, I think it's a wonderful thing because it gives us a chance to actually reset things. Well, I mentioned in the opening, we are making some progress on the regulatory front. I mean, I, you know, I, I consider everybody today is an environmentalist. I mean, nobody is not an environmentalist. It's just a question of cost and emphasis and, and you know, cleaning, cleaning things up versus the, the law of diminishing returns where you end up saying, gee, we've, got, we've cleaned up 98% of it, the last 2%, let's move on to clean up Brazil or China or something like that that really is polluting. So we are making progress in regulation. Um, I think we're making progress in the Labor Department. Um, where else? Where else do you see signs of optimism that this is? Or well, in energy, that, I guess that's related to the environment. Yeah. Um, in um, what? Are, what? What? Are they, they've eliminated thirty three hundred pages of regula business regulations, I guess, since Trump was elected. It's amazing. Those are those are those Congressional Review Act um, bills that were passed. Oh, Which that, people say that's aren't, by aren't that's by law. Some of the biggest. That's by law, make. not yeah. by regulation. In other words, those things are gone. They can't they can't reintroduce them again with a new president. But then, Bill, let me just you know, a lot of things aren't really what they seem to be. I mean, for one thing, there's this enormous amount of money that's being spent on all these things, and a whole class of people who want to keep that money coming. I mean, for example, I understand that during the Obama years, we were spending 80 to $90 billion a year on climate change. Now, who do you think gets that money? It's all the consultants. It's people doing, it's making special products and all these things. And they want that money to continue. I mean, they're not really concerned about climate change. They're concerned about getting rich. You know, the number one beneficiary of all that is, is a bunch of universities in states. That's right. Because right. they're doing all these research products. Right. And they and, want to keep that coming. And by the way, it wasn't just, you think climate, okay, that must be coming out of NASA or it must be coming out of DOE. No, it was every single agency in the government was directed mm -hmm. to spend a certain amount of percentage of their budget right. on well, combating exactly. climate change. Yeah, and so, you know, it, it really becomes an economic thing with all these people that are getting, um, getting the money. And the same thing is true in so many other cases. I mean, with this business we see now of tearing down monuments, it's really not about the Civil War. I mean, they're defacing monuments of Christopher Columbus. They defaced one in Chicago of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, this has nothing to do with with race or anything else, it's got, it's just become sort of a, a mass um, hyster hysterical thing, I guess, and, and people fall into place on it. But it, so there, it, it always appears that it's one thing, but if you look behind it, it's often something else. So you're, you're, a, you're, you're a proponent of the theory of the personal agenda. Absolutely. And that, and that we've got billions of, tens of millions of personal agendas and nothing's going to change because of that phenomenon. No, I mean, why are we living in the most, the, 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 the highest income counties in the country right here inside the Beltway? I mean, well, there's right a story of, of uh, one of my bosses at Continental Bank told about they were in the middle of their crisis and Continental got in a lot of trouble and they were having these late night meetings. And my boss was a head of strategic planning and he was a very 
uh, Alex Pollack, very, very smart man, thought big terms, grand strategy. And he's sitting here with the head of HR, and they're talking about what they ought to do, the strategy for the bank. And the HR guy said, there's no strategy for the bank. There's only strategy for us, the people as individuals, and yeah. it's all personal strategy. Yeah. And so that's a pretty tough thing to change unless we can make their, their agendas match somehow what, what America's agendas ought to be, which gets me back to this issue of the parties, and you mentioned the ruling class and the elites uh, versus the rest of us. And you've got 80, 90 percent of America, which is not participating in this, and they're both Democrat and Republican, presumably, or their other side of the aisle. And the enemy's not really the, to them, is not just, you know, the one party or the other party. It's the whole system you're talking about. How do we, how do we get at that? And, and is that going to cause... It's a tough, tough thing to do, because you have all of these things that are um, so well established that they don't stop very well. And pe some people say, you know, I guess, first of all, you have to talk about the money. Um, we are spending this vast amount of you, you money. You were talking about the Justice Department. Well, yeah, just we let me on just the finish the one point, okay. though, and that, was, that is that, that as you're spending this enormous amount of money, um, as, as you have all these people that are dependent, de dependent on it, it doesn't, um, everybody has, a, has their finger in it in a way, and it doesn't change. I mean, some people have said it's only going to happen when you get to the point where there's such a crisis that you can't borrow any more money. I guess that's a different conversation than we're in the middle of right now, but that is when the government gets to the point where it's broke, then what do you do? Then, then maybe you deal with it. Or when the government never gets to the point where it knows it's broke because there's no consequences to where it is. Look, I go back to the moment we're in. I think we have to call out things that haven't been working. And on raising the debt limit, which is the tool by which all these bills keep getting paid and the credit card keeps running up, you know, uh, I think it's time to question the preconceived notions that, oh, you can't do that because that puts the credit markets in jeopardy. I'm not the person to answer those questions or do the forecasting, but I think we have to start asking those very basic questions. I think the American people are actually hungry for us to think beyond just the one or two choices we always look at on these questions yeah, you're right. and go beyond it. Right. And I think on the question of, you know, Bill, how we have all these federal employees and what they do and everything else we got to look at the uh, at all of the laws surrounding the fact that these folks are protected and they can't get fired and all the rest. It's like it is really a time for us to think big. I think Donald Trump actually wants to think big, which is why the left wing media is trying to keep him so hogtied on his own words and questions about his rhetoric and everything, because they fear what he might just consider doing. His rhetoric alone, think about this, his rhetoric alone has caused a 40% decrease in illegal immigration. Why? Because people around the globe are taking his statement seriously about cracking down on things. His rhetoric alone has caused this spike in the economy. It's not Barack Obama's policies. It's because people are saying, hey, we might have a president that really will change the regulatory structure and, and lower taxes. Well, in that sense, I think we might be optimistic. I think there's a room for optimism in that I think Trump is working with a lot of people, and Vic Mulvaney and others in the White House, to work on really the the, uh, the mechanisms, the personnel processes of government to get into the kind of things you're talking about. I mean, you've got the, the Federal Employees Union rules and you've got all the other rules that uh, protect people from change. And there's an enormous opportunity for a turnaround guy. And I think Trump's got a little bit of Let that Let me just give him. you a case in point. Yeah. I was over the Justice Department. Okay, the that's the story I wanted you to tell. 
And wait, wait. I want to know why you had to go to the Justice Department. Well, because because a, a new Trump appointee had arrived six or seven weeks earlier and called and wondered if I could come over, got my name somewhere, and wanted some advice. And so I went over there. And this is a division of justice that has about 500 employees and passes out vast amounts of grant money. And so I said, so how, you know, what's it like? How are things? She said, well, it's extremely frustrating because nobody's here. And I said, what do you mean? You've got 500 employees. She said, well, under Justice Department rules, if you want to do telecommuting, you can work at home and you only have to come to the office twice during each pay period to get paid. And you're supposed to have a computer where you're sitting at your home doing work and a cell phone. But the joke is that nobody does. They're off at the baseball games or wherever they are the other four out of five days. She said they're getting paid somewhere between seventy-five dollars and $150,000 a year. So you go down to the garage, they're all Mercedes and BMWs. And these people have a job for life. They have all the health care and every, all the other benefits that you can imagine. Um, they're building a nice pension. And they don't have to work very hard. So can I push in on this, what the swamp is? So people, we, we've kind of touched upon the swamp or all these consultants and people benefiting from all these policies. I posit something else. I actually think a lot of that is not helpful. I, I, I totally grant that. But the swamp is two people in a family, each making $150,000, $175,000 a year, combine that salary, that's the Mercedes and the BMW that you see in rush hour at 1030 in the morning in Washington, D.C., by the way. Rush hour kind of never ends here because it, people come to work so late and they leave so early. I shouldn't laugh at it. If they come really, to work at all. Well, it, it, it starts late in the morning. I'm yes, sure. exactly. So, so the point is, is this, which is they work for the, in the bureaucracy. They cannot be fired. They can be, as, they can be as active politically and not be stupid about it and get away with it. They can leak on a Republican president. They can do everything they can to stop a Republican president's policies. You see this in the intelligence community with what's happened to Republicans over and over and over again. And that is the swamp that is much more pernicious, which is our own government is working against the will of the voters. That's something I'd like to see stopped. Well, have you well, seen, and, any, have and you the, seen the, any stats the, on how many people voted uh, for Hillary versus yes. Trump and, and, and the, the working too. the federal employees, it's like yes. 90, 95, 98 like percent. Think about it. If you were to poll academics, and there are studies that do that in our universities, mm -hmm. they are left wing. You do the right. same thing to right. journalists and people in the media. And Bill, your point is, do it to the people working in these bureaucracies. Is there any wonder it's hard for our values and our policies to triumph? Well, and ultimately what it is is what we call the administrative state. And that is that these are the people that are really running things. I mean, the politicians come and go. I remember when I was in the in the bureaucracy, the, 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 what everybody, the, the career people said to me, you know, you guys come and you stay here for four years or eight years or whatever and you leave, but we're still going to be here. And we have our way of doing things. Somebody said, it's sort of like a piece of very springy steel. You bend it over a little bit when there's a political person there and then it springs right back well, when they leave. Well, and I think Matt put a face on it that I, I experienced when I was in, when I was running the, piece of transition I was running. I spent a lot of time going into the buildings, particularly IRS and Treasury. And these are not evil people. No, no. These are good people. And you take them as individuals and they're trying to do their job. They're coming to work. We may think too late, but nevertheless, most of them show up and they're there and they're trying to do the right thing as they see it. And so it's awfully hard to get at uh, 
the swamp as you defined it when you when you take a look at who these people are day to day you know you have dinner with them you you like them they vote differently but it's not a it's not a it's not like you've got people with green skin and yellow teeth that are uh, the uh, that are the martians one of the things i did for president george w bush in the political office was that i played a partnering role with the white house personnel office and i was involved in all the personnel decisions up and down the the way including all the schedule c's and the ses's and the thing i realized over time is that uh there are people who are doing great things in these agencies. There are people who have maybe don't share our politics, oh, but they are, are right. willing That's to yeah. push mm -hmm. yeah. the agenda of the president. So it's not indicting all of them. But the swamp, you've got to figure out what is going on. And it is a fair statement to make that the swamp generally, this continual bureaucracy, which we passed with our own laws because we thought that that would keep them apolitical, has actually turned them in the ability to be very political. And so every time you read about a leak coming out of an agency and everything else, sometimes criminal leaks, understand that these are people who the taxpayers are paying their salaries, and they are, in some cases, breaking the law, but in, in every case, breaking the spirit of trying to work with the administration. And we've, we're not going to change the bureaucracy unless we change the laws around the management of the bureaucracy. When was the civil service law passed? I think it was Teddy Roosevelt, right? Yeah, uh, some, somewhere back I, I, in there. I think right. it may have been earlier than that, because of all the corruption in the Ulysses right. S. Grant administration, right. and they're basically in the business of handing out jobs, uh, you know, for, for, in term for money. Well, you have a balance, right? You don't want it to be so uh, so at the whim of politics that, uh, that you can easily have graft and such. But by the same token, you should be able to easily root out the bad actors, the bad employees, et cetera. Um, and this is, once again, why doesn't the Republican Party take this on? Well, if you take on the media, guess what you get? A lot of bad press. If you take on the swamp, guess what they're going to do? They're going to do exactly what they're doing to Donald Trump. So they're going to leak the so, hell out of you. So we're getting at one of my favorite things, a solution. Yes. And the solution would be the, would be the, the, the employee rules. That's right. That protect people from uh, not, not being uh, fired or, or, uh, or moved to another department or something like that. You got to be able to have a free, rant, free hand to move people to where they ought to be or maybe out if that's what they You know, are. in the military, uh, we have this humble concept that you can only serve so long. Yeah. Uh, and I would be okay with an idea like that for them. I'm not saying term limits of five or six years, but you know, maybe 20 years is plenty of time and then uh, and maybe they turn you out. I mean, term this, limits in the civil service. Yes, how about that? Well, that's an interesting concept. idea. Okay, yeah. I'll go with that. You one. also <laughs> have to change some things substantively. I mean, the Congress, for one thing, has given these agencies a great deal of latitude to do things that they probably shouldn't be doing. And then, of course, when they, you get all these professional people there that see things that need to be done, they're going to figure out how so to do it. So why do they the do that? The EPA is a very good example. Why, do, why does Congress cede its authority, well, which, by well, the way, is unconstitutional? It is, but initially, during the Roosevelt administration, the whole concept arose, which is you find these experts who come in and work for government agencies who are going to be able to solve the problems of the world. I mean, they saw science solving diseases and that sort of thing. They said, why can't we do that in social science as well? Um, but it, for example, at EPA right now, Scott Pruitt, who's the new head of the EPA, has said he's laying off, what, 3,500 people or something like that. But his goal is to return the EPA to do what Congress told it to do, which there are various specific statutes which, you, which EPA is supposed to regulate. And, um, but he said it's gone way beyond that. I mean, they figure out, for example, on clean air, how can you control, how can you, in essence, what the result is, shut down the, the um, coal-fired power plants because they make too much dirt? Well, that's not what the EPA, what the, what the rules, what the, the, the laws said to do. 
I mean, so they've figured out ways of extending the laws scientifically way beyond where Congress intended. And he says by the time he's done, if EPA can be back where it was supposed to be with what Congress asked it to do, he will have done his job. You know, there are two things that happened at CPAC. Uh, this year that I'd love people to tune into our website and look at. One of them was the remarks from Steve Bannon when he talked about the administrative state. And the other was the even more in-depth and more detailed address that Dr. Larry Arn gave CPAC when he talked about the uh, promulgations of regulations, unconstitutional regulations, regulations where you don't even have judicial review going on in these independent agencies. This is a very pernicious thing. So you go back to the fact that you have Steve Bannon, who at that point was the president's number one strategist. Um, this th Go back to the political moment here. There is a lot of turbulence. There's a lot of things about Donald Trump people don't like. There's a lot of Republicans on the Hill that are uneasy when Donald Trump attacks Republicans. I can't endorse every letter and every word of everything that happens, but what I can say is, is that generally, if we can take all of this uh, excitement and change and uh, and the, 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 the attention the American people are paying to their government, and we could actually question how we approach these major things, I really think we can save the country. I mean, this maybe sounds like a pessimistic conversation we're having. I think it's the most optimistic conversation. It's great when a drunk finally starts to realize that booze is destroying their life because they can turn their life around or the junkie can realize that about drugs. We are a junkie on big government and bad policies. And if we can start to realize that it's killing us, we but can, you we really can, have to get to the point where it's killing us. So yeah. With a drunk, you ha he has to wake up in the gutter with mud all over himself. Yes. It doesn't. It's not enough for his relatives to tell him to stop drinking. That's, that's not right. going to work. He's got. He's got to hit the bottom, and then and maybe we're maybe that's where we are. Yeah. Well, I, one I, of I my favorites, and, and I think we're drilling into something useful. What this is all about: individuals and their incentives. And if we change the incentives, we're going to get a different outcome. And I, I think about my favorite topic is Congress, and having Congress obey the same laws we do. Yes. And, that's, and one of the reasons we haven't fixed health care is they're not in the health care plan the rest of us are in. They're a small business, Bill. You didn't know that? They're in the small they're literally in the small business. That is, that is their loophole. That it? is, yeah. You explain that. They basically were able to craft some language that said that they could apply to be uh, for the small business exemption, I think, uh, in the state of Maryland or something like that. And so they literally uh, the Congress is considered uh, carved out of the idea that uh, they have to follow Obamacare. Well, they now, always do that. I mean, you've probably driven across the Woodrow Wilson Bridge, the new one. Yes. Right. Big bridge goes from the Beltway from, from Virginia to Maryland. That bridge was built in record time. You know why? Because they waived all the environmental requirements. Yeah. They didn't have to do impact statements or anything like that because a lot of congressmen drive across that bridge every day to get to work. <laughs> and so Congress said, okay, build the bridge, but don't worry about the, all the requirements. We're not worried about the snail darter. But the, uh, the, uh, the, the other thing about all of these questions is this is actually what President Trump wants to do on his infrastructure plan. Now, I'm not a big believer in porky infrastructure bills, but their focus seems to be more on the idea that one of the reasons things cost so much is because you do have to do all these studies. And time is your enemy when you have a big capital project. And what they're saying is, actually, let's make it easier to build these big infrastructure projects. Interestingly enough, he was making that announcement when he on the heels of Charlottesville, and his plan really focused on inner city projects. And it would actually help a lot of these folks 
who uh, who are struggling out there in society. And so, you know, these very basic concepts about aligning incentives, it's actually pretty exciting when you think about the fact that um, we can come together in all kinds of strange coalitions um, if we actually try to do what's good for each other. Okay, we Just an it. anecdote, Matt. The Hoover Dam took less than two years to build. If you build it now, it would take more than 15, simply because of the permits. I don't know if you'd ever get it done. You wouldn't. They'd not, stop not, it. Not in my backyard. <laughs> They're trying to take dams down because, it, you know, apparently it's bad for the environment. So. Okay, we got a few minutes left. We're advising Donald Trump. We want him to succeed. We want him to make all these changes. What are the three or f three to five top things you really should be focusing on? I mean, I think you've talked about something here, focusing on civil service reform that could be incredibly useful if it were done broadly enough and deeply enough. You could really change behavior here. Yeah, absolutely. That would be my. That would be one of mine. What you guys got? Well, any other I would things? say, as I mentioned with EPA, return the agencies to doing what Congress told them to do. Nothing more. And I think you'd have a huge reduction in the swamp if you could do that. See, let me ping off that. Well, you've been adjusted. How do you do that? Is, there a, is, that, a, is that a piece of legislation? Is it a, is it a new no, set of behaviors? No, I don't think it's legislation. Well, I, I really don't know. I mean, it, 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 you appoint people that are willing to, to stop doing things that you're not authorized to do. Let me posit something. Most of the government is not authorized. This is something we have to think about, which is it was at one point authorized, but it was never reauthorized. It has sunset. But Congress allows that to happen. And one of the things that conservatives tend to do when they come to Congress is it's like, we're not doing oversight. And our author authorizing committees aren't actually reauthorizing government. And what their leaders have told them is, let's not get into all that. It gets very controversial and mucky, and it's very hard to get it all through Congress. Congress has to start legislating again. No part of government should be working unless it's authorized. That's a very radical proposal. I, the other thing I'd say to, to Donald Trump is, is that know who your enemy is. We have this whole question about statues and, you know, what do we do with our history and our history of slavery and everything else? America was born with a birth defect. We all know it. And we healed it. And we've come a long way as a country. But I actually think in this day and age, there are people who don't buy into the concept of America. They're Americans, but they don't buy into the concept that we came together and put differences aside to create this great country, this most unique country in the history of mankind. And I think he understands this, Bill. I think he gets the fact that there are some people who are hard-nosed left who actually don't believe in the idea of America. And don't think, don't be bamboozled by cowering and kissing their ring and assuming that that's going to pull us together. Actually, we'll get pulled together better if he calls them out. And I think he's doing that. Well, the other thing I think he, he has to realize that in order to govern effectively, you need the backing of the people that elected you, and maybe even more than that. He doesn't do that very well sometimes, I think. Um, he, he tends to irritate an awful lot of people. And as Jimmy Carter found out, um, so did Lyndon Johnson. You can't govern. I mean, both of those had majorities in both houses of Congress, and Carter got nothing done in the last couple of years. Johnson got nothing done because they didn't have the support of the American people. And you have to. I mean, in, in any situation, if you don't, I mean, you look again at the Soviet Union. The reason I think the Soviet Union came apart was because yeah. basically everybody lost confidence in what even, they were doing. Even in a totalitarian system. The only thing I would include in that is that if you expect to be a congressional leader and your numbers in your state and in your district are poor, um, eventually that catches up with you. And Congress, a Republican Congress, cannot be successful if they are indicted by their very base supporters. And if they're fighting with Trump, and Trump's got good numbers in their district, and they're at 18 and 19 and 20 percent, 
uh, they're not going to win that political argument. Donald Trump is. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you. It was a great show. You're uh, interesting as usual, and I think we've got a lot of good ideas to uh, go out and promote. So thank you. Thanks, Phil. Thank great. you. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe to Common Ground with Bill Walton on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.